Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Speak the Truth podcast. I am your host, Matt Tardio. Rob is out today. He will be back for Friday's video. We have a lot of updates for you guys going on across Ukraine. First, what we're going to talk about is Putin meeting up with Kim Jong-un from the DPRK. Additionally, Ukraine launched an airstrike last night in Sevastopol. Looks like took out a couple Russian ships. They launched, I want to say it was like 10 missiles. We're going to take a look at the article here in just a second. Um, anyways, they ended up damaging some ships. we got some videos and images of those ships for you, along with videos of the strikes that took place. The voting that took place in the LPR and DPR in southern Ukraine went to hell. The partisans got in there, started attacking some of the polling stations and ended up um, causing kind of a thorn in the side for Russian authorities as they were trying to host um, these elections. Now, additionally, uh, we have some updates on the front line outside of Rebov and Robotnia. Uh, we got some videos from there as well, detailing, uh, I've got a video of something that I find really intriguing called the Highway of Death. That is what apparently the Ukrainians have dubbed this highway as is the highway of death for the amount of destruction that's taken place. So I got a video of some Ukrainians passing through that area along with what the front lines look like up there and their current ones. And then we also have some videos um, that I just honestly I find extremely interesting. So let's pull you guys up over and get you up over on the map and let's start going through some of the stuff. So first thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about um, the strike that took place in Sevastopol. This article is from the Kiev Independent, and it details what happened. Now, it's quoting some Russian officials um, from a Telegram channel, as well as some Ukrainian officials that goes through it. An overnight strike on a shipyard in Sevastopol in Russians occupied Crimea damaged a Russian landing craft, a submarine, and port infrastructure. So those are the two craft that got hit, a landing craft and a submarine, um, along with sort of some of the port's infrastructure, obviously, when you have an explosion go off in the port. Uh, so there is damage to one of the ships, uh, at the repair plant, um, and particularly the equipment in terms of the vessels, we can now confirm that a large landing craft and a submarine have been damaged. Russia's defense ministry has confirmed that two vessels were undergoing repairs at the repair facility and sustained damage due to the attack. It wasn't just a little bit of damage either. That ship's going to be out of commission for a while. I'm going to show you the pictures. So as a result of the enemy cruise missile, two ships that were undergoing repairs have been damaged, according to the defense minister on a telegram channel. Moscow alleged that Ukrainian forces launched 10 cruise missiles at three marine and three marine drones against the Crimean shipyard used by the Russian Black Sea Fleet. All boats have been reportedly destroyed by the patrol ship uh, something. And seven out of 10 missiles have been shot down by air defense. So the three, what do you want to call it? The three amphibious drones were destroyed by a patrol ship and seven out of the 10 cruise missiles ended up getting shooting down. And over here, we have a video of them taking place. Um, here is some video of the cruise missile striking last night um, over at the Sevastopol region. Now you can see right here in this video, some of them are being shot out of the sky and we can continue to see some of the explosions that are going to be taking place over in uh, the, the docks where the ships were there for quote unquote repairs. Here's another point of view perspective of it, obviously from a little bit further out of some of those cruise missiles striking and getting shot out of the sky. And then lastly, we just have just chaos which is always good news when we get to watch Russian ships getting destroyed. Here is an aftershot of everything on fire, and you can see the smoke just kind of dwindling out down and across the bay itself. Now, 
this is views of the Russian ship that ended up getting hit. You can see it is severely damaged. This tower itself is being knocked over. We have a before and after shot. This um, post was done by Koba, as you can see right here, um, and he did a very good job on it. So you can see a before shot of the vessel and then an after shot, and you can see the amount of damage and destruction that took place on it. Something really interesting to note on this picture is, you know, the Russians did say that it was in a port for repairs, but look at how just crusty this ship is. This looks like welded on panels, rusted out, freaking just crap ship um, that Ukraine ended up taking out. And just because it was a crap ship doesn't mean that it wasn't important to Russia. Um, if you look at some of the um, tanks and whatnot that Russia is currently using on the front lines, they're not exactly in the best of conditions. So Ukraine did a very good job striking that. Here's another view. Um, we can see the towers that got damaged and knocked out that are over sideways. That ship's going to be out of commission for a very long time. So good job to Ukraine for knocking out that vessel in the port. Now, Kim Jong-un's crazy ass decided that he wanted to go up to Russia and speak directly with Vladimir Putin. As we know, um, Shogu was down in the DPRK, uh, like, what was it, last week, begging for help from uh, the North Koreans. And Kim Jong-un, like we said, was going to cross the border and go up probably outside of Vladivostok. And that's exactly what he did. Um, he rode his boat for some time, then jumped on a train and then got in a car. That's how he ended up getting there. So pretty much all by ground um, to get up there, likely because he's a, a crazy dictator that you know is the supreme leader. But either way, he ended up having to side with Putin on this one. So let's pull this article up and show you guys what I'm talking about. Oh, God, Joe Biden, I don't care. Okay. That man is so old. All right, so Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, held hours of talks at a Russian spaceport Wednesday in a rare encounter that has fueled Western concerns that the North Korean leader will provide military support for the Russian president in his war in Ukraine. The two leaders smiled and shook hands as they met at the spaceport in Russia's far eastern region, bringing together their increasingly isolated regimes engaged in intensifying confrontations with the United States and its allies. Here you go. The two men met at the entrance of a launch vehicle assembly building where Putin said he was happy to see Kim and North Korean leader. Um, Putin also congratulated him on the 75th anniversary, yada, yada, yada. Here's the important part. Kim offered Putin his country's full and unconditional support for what he called the sacred fight to defend its security interests. All right. Now, what is um, the DPRA, DPRK going to get in return? It looks like the DPRK. It's somewhere hidden in this article. Um, the DPRK was asking for a couple different things. Um, it was asking for uh, humanitarian aid as far as that goes, but they're also, here we go. Um, do, do, do. The two U.S. adversaries have been drawing closer as their leaders face um, deepening diplomatic isolation, Putin over his 18-month war in Ukraine, and Kim over his continued development of nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs. Uh, the White House has warned North Korea against making any arms deals with Russia, which would violate multiple U.N. Security Council resolutions that Russia has supported in the past. Both countries have denied past U.S. accusations that Pyongyang was supplying arms to Moscow. Well, now they're going to do it. Um, so likely what the Russians are going to do, what the DPRK is asking for in return is for aid in infrastructure and also aid in their arms. And if the Russians actually start providing that to them, I'm, I'm scanning through this article right now looking for it for you guys, but likely if Russia does do that, it is a scary thing. If they start developing like North Korean ballistic missiles and developing nuclear technology and weapons technology with the DPRK, which is stated here in this article that, um, they will help with weapons technology or that's what, um, you know, he's looking for what Kim Jong-un is looking for. Um, that's a scary day. And it's also, 
Very telling of where Russia is sitting at in this current conflict. They have a lot of issues right now um, that they're going through, and here's one of them. Um, we're seeing more and more videos pop up of Russian soldiers that are complaining about stuff that's going on on the front lines. I, I, I Countless over the last week that I've seen. I've seen some of them out of uh, like the southwest um, and out of the, like the Kyrgyzstan region. I've seen soldiers that are complaining that they don't have enough weapons and supplies, that their soldiers are getting shot and just left to die on the battlefield, that they're down to like 40% strength. This guy in this video that I'm about to show you is down to 30% strength. Um, and this has to do with the elections to kind of tie all of this in together. Now, what this guy is saying that the Russian soldiers that were on the Bakhmut front, as well as near Klashivka, ended up packing up their bags and going to leave to secure some of these election sites. And that's a problem for these Russians. Let's take a look and, and hear what they have to say, because it likely has to do with some of the territorial gains that we're seeing at Klashivka. It says, hello, guys, anyone that's watching this. We're filming it so that we can share this to all while we are still alive. Today is September 8th, 2023. We are fighters of the 83rd Brigade. We're near Bakhmut and Klashivka. There are only 30% of our personnel left. That's it. There are only three in my department. As for today, we have this load of crap. Akhmut department, which was covering us in the north, left its positions and went to the LPR and DPR where elections were held. We cannot understand why in the hell we need those blank when we have blank in defense blank. Uh, be men and come back. Seriously, come back. Be men. Cover our butts and fight like us. So you have Russian soldiers now on the Bakhmut front that have left the area. Whether or not they've returned, I highly doubt it because um, those elections got held and then they're gone. But I doubt that they've been able to return yet. But they use the elections as kind of an excuse to go out. Whether or not they were ordered to, I don't know, um, to go secure some of these polling stations. But the you, Russian side is very, very thin on the Klashivka front. If you've got units operating at like 30%. And with Russia doing all of its refit down in the south, it's highly unlikely that they're getting a lot of reinforcements in that area. If they were getting reinforcements in the Bakhmut area, I would I would, I would I assume that they're being taken out of the north up by Kupiansk, which is kind of like halting that whole assault. But even then, why wouldn't they just use those troops that were up in Kupiansk to go help out with that election? So I Russia is... What it looks like spread extremely thin with its troops committing most of them down to the front and to the south. And I believe Ukraine's also doing that. And I'll touch on that when we get over the map here. But more importantly, let's go back to the election and talk about what ended up happening. Because Russia's claiming it has a lot of support. And I've seen a lot of videos of the uh, Russians putting out a lot of propaganda of their polling stations and their, and their, their voting stations. And how the, the Russians are just in absolute support of this and the Ukrainians are in absolute support and they're very happy to vote for Russia. But what those Russian channels didn't show was what I have here that I'm going to show you. And that is these right here. So the Ukrainians, um, when they were asked to vote, if they're inside Russian occupied, um, Ukraine, um, they took these voting ballots and started writing some pretty vul vulgar stuff on there. So, um, these are the ones I can show you. Waiting for the Ukrainian armed forces on this piece of paper that was used for a ballot. So here you go. They're not even voting. They're just writing stuff on there, waiting on the Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, let's blow out of this one because the next one, honestly, is a bit more interesting to me. Uh, they have a couple of them on here. So no to war that they ended up writing. Putin to the Hague. Gotta love it. Freedom for political prisoners and listing 14 names and all others. Bam. There's your voting ballot, Russia. And then lastly, we have wake up, Russia. No to war. Putin is a killer. Now, 
it's bad enough that we have, um, you know, the Ukrainians in the area that are refusing to vote. As far as Russia is concerned, it's pretty bad. Um, it shows that there's a lot of support still for Ukraine within those areas and that they're not going to just back down. We've told you that numerous times. Ukraine, Ukrainians just aren't going to stand for a Russian invasion. They're not going to do it, and they were fighting back. As a matter of fact, we started talking about the partisan fighters that were um, down in the south, particularly in Melitopol and Berdyansk. And as you can see over here in Berdyansk, um, this is the location apparently of an attack on one of the polling stations that the partisan fighters launched. And one of the videos that I saw of the Russians um, in the polling stations, they actually mentioned the partisans had attacked the polling station previously and had blown up a part of it before they actually were able to open up the elections. Now, some of the Ukrainians are taking the videos from these polling stations um, showing Russians walking around with AK saying that the Russians are forcing Ukrainians to vote. Now, that is probably true um, to an extent. I've seen videos of the Russians that are going around collecting that, that were collecting ballots from some of the Ukrainian households um, demanding that they fill them out. But other than that, I believe the reason for these Russians to be walking around with AKs at the polling stations is because they're scared of these partisans that are attacking them. And by the way, it's not just little little bombs here and there or, you know, some sabotage. These guys actually have some pretty serious hardware. Um, let me pull up this video for you. I believe it's this one. Let's take a look. Yeah, it's this one. So this video um, shows some Russian troops that came across a cache for some of the partisans. So I'm going to let it play, but it's very interesting to see what these guys actually got their hands on. So he goes around this wall and is able to uncover it and open it up. You can see that those shrubs really haven't been dead that long. So it was just stashed there. Um, the plastic's barely even dirty. So they clearly staged this um, getting ready for an attack. And it sucks that the Russians got a hold of it. Um, but this is likely why those troops were being pulled off the front lines to come help deal with some of this crap. Here we have a bunch of AK-47s that they were able to recover from these crates along with ammo cans and next RPGs. That's right. That's right. Our partisans fighters not only have a freaking plethora of AKs, but now they have RPGs in addition to a lot of other things. Now, this is going to put a thorn in the side for the Russians um, as they continue to go because you can kill people, but what you can't kill is an idea. And I think that's exactly what we're starting to see is that these people are getting pretty fed up with the BS that the Russians are doing in their area, and they're starting to fight back, and they're acquiring weapons. And the more time that these Russians are moving away from the front line, all right, or moving from this area and being flexed to the front line in this quick, rapid manner to go secure what's happening um, over outside of Robotnya and outside of Robov, um, which we're going to touch on on the map here in just a second, the more that they're pulling these guys, the more weapons and ammunition they're going to get left behind, and these partisan fighters are going to find it, and they're going to use it. And it's going to start causing an even bigger thorn in their side. If Ukraine is capable of breaking through that line, then we're likely to start seeing these partisan fighters ramp up, and then Russia is going to be attacked from within, all right, within Russian-occupied uh, Ukraine, as well as being pushed on the front line. It's going to throw them into chaos. So hopefully that's what we end up seeing coming up happening in the near future. All right. So to bring you up over, let me find the map. So here is your map um, currently what's on the front line now. Not a lot's been updated on this map. I've watched a couple different YouTube videos that um, are talking about Ukrainian fighters that are now inside of Rebov. I still don't believe that is possible. Um, I have seen some interesting reporting coming to the north of Rebov, like we said last week, um, up in these two villages that looked like Ukraine was attempting to push through there. But I did see some reporting that is suggesting that Ukrainian troops have moved to the north of Rebov. So they've likely broken through this line. A small group of them at least have broken through this line. And they're looking at now pushing in from the north, coming down on top of Rebov. And they're likely doing that because they're not having a lot of success down this area. They did open up a little chunk of terrain down here, but it's not that much um, that they were able to open up. 
Now, there is a road that runs in between Robotnia and Verbov, and it is being dubbed as the Highway of Death. And I, I know we told you guys that, look, as these Ukrainians are pushing, as long as they're on this narrow path that they're going, they're going to continue to get targeted um, by the Russians. So we have a video here that I want to show you of Ukrainians driving through this area to kind of give you an idea of the amount of armor that's been taken out in that area. So as this is, this is again, in between Robotnia and Robov, and the Ukrainians driving down. And I notice they are not in an up vehicle. They're in an SUV. We've seen that plenty of times um, along the front that you have Ukrainian, Ukrainian troops and Russian troops that are using civilian vehicles. But they're hauling butt down and through this front line. And as they go down it, you can see uh, craters. You can see destroyed Russian vehicles. You can see destroyed Ukrainian vehicles um, as they, they go down and through it. But this is the road. Now, I've seen another video of this particular road, and I want to say it was closer to for both. Um, and it showed Ukrainian soldiers kind of walking through a bunch of destroyed up-armored vehicles of theirs with uh, Ukrainian bodies that were still on the ground. So likely what's happening is they're pushing and attempting to push, continuing to push down this road, hoping to break through. And they are getting hit by these Russian attacks because they already have their artillery trained on them. And it's just blowing these vehicles to hell. And it's so dangerous that they're not even able to go and recover their own bodies. Now, that is not on purpose that they're not recovering their bodies. It's just literally they can't do it when all this stuff is happening and they're being left. And that video was likely Ukrainian soldiers that were sent in to go do a battle damage assessment and to recover bodies um, throughout that area. Now, this is on that road itself leading into Verbov. I have another video to show you guys um, to give you an idea of what they're kind of dealing with in that area. Um, before we get, you know what? No, let's go ahead and let's show you that video real quick. Let me see if I can find it. Here you go. So this is another video down in um, the Verbov sector, if you will, um, that they're going on. And last week we showed you, let me open up this map real quick. So last week we showed you guys um, that the Russians had a trench line that is approximately seven to 800 meters away from this main axis of approach for the Ukrainian forces to get into Verbov. And it's likely that they haven't broken through that line yet, which means that Russian soldiers are still back there fighting. So as the Ukrainian troops are coming in, they're, they're getting hammered. So the Ukrainians are now going out of the open and attempting to take some of this terrain back. And this video that I'm about to show you has to do um, with that terrain that these Ukrainians are dealing with. It's wide open, ladies and gentlemen. It is wide open terrain. Um, there is a couple hedgerows, quote unquote, um, that they have to use for concealment, but it's not stopping bullets. They're just cutting right through. As a matter of fact, I believe I've actually seen this video before. Um um, not this particular video, but a video of this guy's helmet cam um, over in the same sector. And it showed them fighting in a very similar hedgerow. Um, and they started to take pretty heavy machine gun fire. And as they were moving out of that hedgerow, um, one of the bullets had ripped through the trees and hit one of his guys. And then they uh, continued, continued to kind of maneuver on to doing what they're doing. But look at that open area and look at the tall grass. All they really have for concealment is the hedgerows and the tall grass. Now, when you have trenches... And grass like that, once the Russians know that they're there, they can, one, hit them with artillery fire, but two, they have the opportunity to do something with their machine guns that's called grazing fire. They essentially aim the machine guns about one meter off the ground, so two to three feet off the ground, and they just let it rip, and they let that machine gun go back and forth across this whole line where these troops are at. And that, it's it's very problematic. I mean, you literally want these things about knee height, but even if they have the concealment of those bushes, if they know where those Ukrainians are at, those guns are going to cut right through. And look at a lot of those trees. They're freaking throttled um, that they had just walked past. And so there's bullets that have been ripping through there left and right. Not a lot of artillery strikes, it looks like, over there on them yet. But hopefully, you know, what we see in this area is that these Ukrainians are able to open it up. So let's jump over here and go back to the map. 
um, and keep talking about it. So that is all taking place down in this particular area. That's what they're dealing with, and it's going to be very hard for them to push through. Now, if they are able to open up this front either to the north or to the south, that's going to open up um, their avenues of approach, which means Russia isn't going to be able to train their um, munition-depleted artillery on, onto these areas so well, and Ukraine will likely be able to then advance a little bit further. So the reason we could possibly see them pushing up to the north is depending on where the Russian guns are at, and I have no idea where those Russian artillery pieces are at, but they do have a max effective range. So if those Russian artillery pieces are a little bit further south, they might be pushing up to the north to just try to get out of that range in order to go assault and uh, take more effect. Now, let's be clear on this area as we're talking about it. Now, there's a lot of people that are excited about the gains of Ukraine, but keep in mind that this took them months to take this terrain months. And they only have between 30 to 45 days left before that weather sets in. And as you just saw, it's a lot of farm fields. Moving armor through these farm fields, going down through here when it's raining, is going to be a muddy mess. And it's going to slow them down, opening up the Ukrainian forces to get targeted a hell of a lot easier. I think realistically what we're likely to see down here in this area is we're likely to see Ukraine and the UAF push through and take for Bove in the next 30 days. All right, I do believe it's going to be a lot of heavy fighting um, with the amount of Russian reinforcements that have been pushed through the area. But at best, I think we can see the Ukrainian forces push in and take for both. Once they do that, they're going to have to hold in place and refit for a little bit for that ground to kind of freeze over. And once that ground freezes over, then they'll be able to take their armor and start rolling it down. But they won't be able to do it while it's just a big, muddy mess. So winter setting in um, hard and fast this year is likely to do Ukraine a favor as long as they can keep up their logistics to keep those vehicles moving um, down this line. And hopefully um, they're able to break through down to here by the springtime and start thumping on Tokmok. Now, I say this as a projection because sometimes I'm wrong, and hopefully I am wrong in a situation and Ukraine is able to break through and then push even harder um, and faster down through Tokmok in the next 30 to 45 days. I don't see that happening. There is people that believe that this is just a big paper line that once Ukraine punches through, it's just going to fall like a, like a, like a, what do you, what do you call those things? Dominoes. It's just going to be like this domino effect to where it starts breaking through. I don't think that's going to be the case from all the reporting I've seen of the amount of Russian troops that have moved in this area. I think that it may have been a paper line, but now with the amount of troops that they have there, it's not going to be. They're going to put up a big fight to keep this area. So whatever Russia has going on down in Tokmok, which we know is a headquarters element and down in Melitopol, um, is likely to be um, very well defended and they're not going to give it up so easily. Let's scroll up here to the north and go take a look at Bakhmut and see what ISW has updated on their map for Bakhmut. I mean, I don't have to see it, but I'm just showing you guys to let you know. Now, I showed you the video earlier of the uh, Russian that was claiming that they only had about 30% manpower left in this area um, to deal with fighting, which is likely why last week when I reported, I told you that the Ukrainians had pushed them up and out of this area um, and are likely fighting over here on the edge of the village as we speak keeping those Russians out. Not much movement going on um, along this front line, as we can see up here. Um, it does look like the Ukrainians have reached this uh, this red line, uh, the Russians' main line of defense over outside. So that's actually um, really good news for them. So hopefully we see Klashivka break through. Now, I don't think Ukrainians have the forces to commit up into Bakhmut right now. If they did, I think likely we would have seen that by now. I think most of their troops are, are still tied up down in, in uh, the south and are still heavily fighting down there. Otherwise, Ukraine would flex them. Now, Russia itself, um, supposedly up here in the Kupiansk area, that's what you're looking at right now, uh, we know Kupiansk has been pretty much evacuated. There's still a lot of uh, civilians that are holding on because they just have no place to go. Um, but the civilians are holding on the area. Now, Russia is still continuing to claim a lot of the mill blockers are complaining that Russia is just waiting to uh, refit and waiting for some of these 100,000-plus troops that they have up here to go launch this assault. 
I don't think they have that capability right now. I think if they had that capability, likely what they would do instead of attacking Kupiansk would be to flex them down and hold their terrain down outside of Bakhmut. And that may be what they're doing. That may be where those troops went that were up over here as they're flexing them south. Because what we have seen is we've seen troops from this area being flexed over down into Tokmok. So likely what we're seeing is just Russia rolling troops down into the south and down into the south for the south. So if they're in Kupiansk, they're rolling down to Bakhmut. If they were, you know, in the, the Starry Mars direction, then they're moving down over towards uh, Verbov, right? And they're just continuing to rotate these troops. Now, down in the south, um, I saw a video that was very interesting out of the Kyrsan area um, of some conscripts that were in there. And the conscripts are complaining that they don't, they, they maybe have one weapon for every four or five guys and that they're just being sniped and shot from across the river and they're being ordered to leave the bodies down there. And that is probably the third or fourth report I've seen of Russians complaining to just go ahead and leave the bodies down in the line um, because the Russian government doesn't want to pay out the insurance money uh, for whatever reason. So that sucks for those guys and hopefully that becomes paper thin hopefully once they're able to break through these couple lines of defense we do see a two-front approach and we start seeing some of these forces pushing through Kyrgyzstan and moving down this road up over to Melitopol. we know that russia has moved a lot of troops from the Kyrgyzstan front up over into um, the current fight that's taking place um, but um, how many troops they moved and how many they have left in reserves is the question plus they're very close to crimea and they're likely to break through um, the Russians are likely to refit out of Crimea if they absolutely have to, um, to get up over there. Okay. I want to thank you guys for joining me on tonight's episode of the speak the truth podcast. I appreciate every single one of you. I, you know, I've read and hear your guys' comments. Um, I appreciate everything that you guys do. If you guys aren't getting notifications, make sure you ring the notification bell to make sure that you get up to date. Rob and I have started doing live sessions uh, Monday mornings. Now, it's not every Monday morning that we'll be doing it, but we'll, you know, maybe we'll make a post or something to let you guys know uh, when we're going to do our next live session because some of you missed it. If you haven't done it yet, check out our last live session on Monday. Um, yeah, we just enjoy doing them. All right. Love you guys. Thank you for everything. Peace, love, happiness, and God bless. I am out. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.